Welcome to Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, where we explore how studies here are changing our world today and in the future. I'm John Worsey, a writer at the University of Portsmouth. And in this episode, with World EV Day on the 9th of September, we're looking at the power behind electric vehicles, the batteries themselves. Jamie Foster is Professor of Applied and Industrial Mathematics here at the University of Portsmouth. Batteries have been around a while, but the challenge is making them small enough and energy dense enough that you can stick it in a car and actually drive a, like, a useful distance. Battery-powered vehicles have the potential to provide a greener and cleaner way of travelling. And these days, we can travel much further on a single charge compared to what was possible just a few years ago. As many of us consider ditching our petrol cars in favour of ones we simply plug in, we're going to explore both the positives and negatives and the charges for and against this developing technology. Here on Life Solved, we like to start with the basics. So, here goes. It might seem a silly question, but what is a battery? And how does it work? The very, very basic answer is it's a way of storing electrical energy. And there's a variety of different batteries out there. So, lithium-ion is the one that I work on primarily. It's the one that's the kind of leading candidate for going in EVs. But there are a variety of other types of battery. The very fundamental components of a battery are its electrodes. So in any battery, you have two of these electrodes. One's called an anode and the other one's called a cathode. Some people call them negative and positive. And this is true independent of the format of the battery. I mean, if you think of the batteries you might put in your TV remote, they're like cylindrical ones. So they're anodes and cathodes rolled up like a Swiss roll. Other batteries, so the ones that go in your laptop, they're called pouch cells. They're like cuboids instead of cylinders. So they're anodes and cathodes layered like a pastry kind of thing. We are loving the Great British Bake Off analogies here. And if cakes aren't your thing, Jamie will be using sporting metaphors in a moment. So in the two electrodes, the anode and the cathode, you have lithium. So that's where the lithium-ion battery gets its name. And what happens is the lithium moves backwards and forwards between the two electrodes. So when you charge the battery, the lithium goes from the cathode into the anode. And when you discharge, it goes the other way, so from the anode into the cathode. And the reason you can store energy this way is because the lithium has a kind of electrochemical affinity for the cathode. So in slightly plainer terms, the lithium likes to be in the cathode rather than the anode. So... When you charge the battery, you have to kind of encourage the lithium by doing some work on it to go from the cathode into the anode. And then you unplug the battery and now all your lithium's sitting in the anode. And then when you plug it back in to use the power, the lithium says, oh good, I can now run back into the cathode and it releases its energy when it does that. A good kind of picture to have in your head is if you imagine the lithium as a load of little footballs, I imagine there's a big hill load of little footballs are at the bottom. So the bottom of the hill is the cathode. And at the top of the hill, there's a little enclosure where you can put the lithium. So when you charge the battery, you're doing the work of lifting all the little footballs to the top of the hill, putting them in their little enclosure. 
And then when you want to get the energy back out, you just open the enclosure and they will happily roll back down to the bottom of the hill, releasing the energy. Those of a certain age might remember the Sinclair C5 in the 1980s, a very early attempt at battery-powered transport. It wasn't a success at the time, but if you've still got one in your garage, second-hand models are for sale on eBay at over £1,000. But what the C5 didn't have, and modern-day electric vehicles do, is vastly improved battery power. What consumers need is a dense amount of energy in the smallest, lightest battery possible. Jamie says there is still some way to go. It's only relatively recently, by which I mean the last decade or so, that they've been energy dense enough to get cars to go useful distances, I could say that. And so even though they're starting to appear in cars, there's still a lot of room for improvement, let's say. People hesitate to buy electric vehicles usually for a few reasons. So one is that even though you can go a reasonable distance now, maybe you'd like to go a bit further on a single charge. Another thing that makes people hesitate a bit is that there's a lifetime on these batteries so different manufacturers quote for different numbers of cycles and different numbers of miles that you can drive your ev but those numbers are not as big as people want them to be so people hesitate because a really large fraction of the cost of an ev is the battery so about half of the cost of the ev is in the battery so if the battery fails that's a big deal like it's a big investment so people want them to last a while and then the other big problem is you want to be able to refuel it quickly. So if you do want to drive to Edinburgh and back, you might have to recharge several times. And if you can pull into a, the electric equivalent of a filling station and be recharged in a couple of minutes, like you can with a combustion engine, that's it's not a big deal to have to recharge. But if you have to plug in and wait two hours or more every time you want to charge it up, then that is a big deal. So more energy density we would really like longer lifetime of batteries we'd really like and faster charging we would really like. So these are the three pillars that people are nibbling away at. So progress is being made, but don't expect lithium batteries to keep getting smaller and smaller. It might not be possible in the long term. There's a kind of theoretical limit on how small you can make these. And over the last few decades of innovation, we've come a lot closer to that limit than where we started at. So certainly there's a law of diminishing returns and there will come a point where they're so small that maybe it will be more appealing to move to a different technology altogether. So move away from lithium to something different. If one of the limits is battery size, another problem is the availability of the ingredients. Cobalt, nickel and lithium are all at risk of running out. They're currently being mined intensively, bringing ethical issues into play. So, to future-proof our battery supply, we might need to look elsewhere. And what we put on our fission chips might be the answer to powering our microchips. Humble salt or sodium. Sodium is a lot easier to get hold of than lithium. You can get it out of the sea, for example, so a lot more abundant. There are working sodium ion batteries already out there. When I say out there, I mean in research labs mainly. I'm pretty confident that there's no company selling electric vehicles with sodium iron in yet, although I do hear that various companies might be prototyping things. So they're not commercially available yet for electric vehicles. If the various issues with them can be remedied, then they are a good 
candidate because the stuff that you need to make them is easier and cheaper to get hold of so that's great at the moment i think there are several problems with them so one is that they don't last as long as lithium so they degrade more quickly which if you're buying a car and you're told it'll only last a year or something that's going to put you off and they're less energy dense than lithium so they have to be a bit bigger and a bit heavier to store the same amount of energy so yeah there are issues to be solved I think it's probably quite likely they'll find a niche somewhere. Whether it's in vehicles or not, I don't know. So, salt is not the answer right now, although it could be an exciting development in the long term. In which case, how do we preserve the finite resources we're currently using? There's a lot of thought that goes into recycling batteries, how you can do that cleanly, how you can give batteries what's called second life. I have some colleagues who I work with who think about this a lot. Putting a lithium battery in an electric vehicle is quite a demanding thing to do so you need a, a good new healthy battery in order to drive an ev so one thing that people do is think about when the battery is no longer good enough to work in an electric vehicle can i repurpose it for something else so once the battery is no longer fit and healthy enough to drive the car around you might think about using it for off-grid storage or something like that where charging rates and discharging rates are lower the battery will still work so you can pair up batteries with solar cells for example and use them in that context to store the energy that the solar cells generate and then release the energy at night when the sun's not out anymore here are some life solve podcast recommendations Life's too short to fully examine it, but here are some podcasts to help you make some progress. The Partially Examined Life Philosophy podcast is a deep-dive philosophy reading group that's been downloaded nearly 50 million times. Based on its success, host Mark Linsenmeyer started the Nakedly Examined Music podcast, featuring career-spanning interviews with songwriters. You get to hear some great songs and learn about the creative decisions behind them. But maybe you're not that geeky about music or philosophy. Well, try Mark's Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, where diverse panels of guests examine what we watch or otherwise consume. Finally, for the philosophy beginner who's not adverse to some comedy thrown into the mix, try Philosophy versus Improv. Mark and Chicago improv comedy instructor Bill Arnett teach each other their respective arts and bring on professional philosophers and or performers to keep things lively. Find out about all of Mark's podcasts at partiallyexaminedlife.com or look up the Partially Examined Life, Nakedly Examined Music, Pretty Much Pop and Philosophy versus Improv wherever you listen. If you're enjoying Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, then you might like one of our other episodes. From space, fabrics, films, environment, human biology, philosophy and much more, there is an episode for you. Back in January 2023 we explored how public perception and psychology can play a role in tackling climate change and spoke to Dr Chris Jones to unpack how people's attitudes are sometimes just as important as technology and policy. You know, we're doing a lot of work in this area and there is a, there's a relatively mature a literature now that we can draw upon. I guess it's probably now incumbent upon us as academics to be a bit better at speaking to those who need to utilise our research about how to do so effectively in order to create the changes that we need. All the episodes from our first 11 series are available to stream for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might wonder why a mathematician has ended up so involved in the world of batteries. Jamie explains. 
When you're trying to build better devices of any type, this is true for batteries, for a whole bunch of other stuff that I've worked on in the past. When you're trying to make devices better, there's different ways of going about it. So one way of doing it is to do a kind of shake and bake approach. We are back with the baking analogies. What I mean by that is you just build many, many different sorts of battery you test all of them and you see which one works the best. So that's a rather blunt way of doing it. And it's not ideal because it costs money to build all these different batteries. It takes a long time. Testing can be expensive. So a different way of going about it is to write down what are called mathematical models for batteries. A mathematical model is a kind of a virtual battery, if you like. So you write down some equations, so some mathematics to describe what's going on in the battery and of course you have to validate and test these models but once you've got models that are predictive and validated and you're kind of confident in what they're doing you can then use the models to test out different batteries without ever building them so you tell your model oh if i tweak this parameter this aspect of the design how will that change the performance of the battery and then you might have to run some computer programs or you might have to to run some code or do some thinking about the mathematics but the maths once validated, tells you which battery design is best. So it saves you a lot of time and money if you can write down a good mathematical model. As we've already heard, one of the challenges with using batteries is the fact that they degrade over time. We've all bought a snazzy new mobile phone which lasts all day on one charge, and then 18 months later, we're topping it up at lunchtime. Why is that? One form of degradation is capacity fade, and there can be multiple reasons for that. So... There are chemical reasons for it. Just to go back to my colourful picture about footballs going up and down hills, those lithium atoms, the footballs in the analogy, over time, those footballs, maybe they get lost, they roll off. In the analogy, they get caught up in some chemical junk that's in the battery and they get tied up and you can't use them anymore. Or maybe the hill that you're pushing the batteries up and down, there's a load of ruts in it and it's now harder work to push the footballs up and down so the system just gets less pristine over time as i say that can be chemical reactions going on in the battery that you don't want there's a phenomenon called lithium plating which is a problem there's a the chemical junk the kind of more precise term for that is sei layer so that's solid electrolyte interface and it's basically a mess that forms on the anode and cathode that you don't want to be there there's another degradation mode when the lithiums move backwards and forwards between the two electrodes the electrodes actually swell up and shrink a little bit so when you put the lithium into the anode it grows a little bit and then when you take it out it shrinks a bit while the cathode's expanding and over time that like expansion and contraction causes cracks throughout the battery and that hampers the performance so degradation is like it's a really big deep complicated problem still not fully understood many open questions in it but super important Jamie and his team use software that creates virtual batteries using the digital world to understand what might be going on in the physical world. What my team and collaborators are, are working on is building the most bomb-proof virtual batteries. So we want our virtual batteries to really reflect what the batteries are doing in the field. We need the models and the simulation tools to keep up with what the engineers are doing so as battery designs change we need to make sure that the simulators are capable of capturing the new designs informing the new designs etc etc and then we're also looking at the kind of fundamental 
physics and chemistry to really understand exactly what's going on in the battery. Just to give you an example of why you might want to do that, I talked about the fact that batteries don't last forever, so they degrade. And there's a whole variety of reasons that they degrade. It's not fully understood what those reactions are, what drives them, can we slow them down, things like this. So trying to understand the fundamentals of what's going on empowers you to try and mitigate the problems. And with many of us looking at electric vehicles as a green option, there are a number of things we should be considering. Climate change is an existential threat. It's a serious problem. And EVs are a big part of the steps we can take towards mitigating climate change. So I don't want to overstate it and say if we can sort these batteries out, we can get everyone an EV climate change won't be a problem anymore it's only a part of the solution but it's an important part of the solution there's issues down the food chain to do with where do the chemicals that go into the batteries come from in the first place like they need to be sourced in a responsible way we need to be responsible about what we do with the batteries after they've served their lifetime so we need to dispose of them or ideally recycle them responsibly and then the other thing that people can miss often is the fact that the battery even if it's the perfect battery all it's doing is storing the energy so the other big piece of the puzzle is how do you generate the energy in the first place and like that's a whole different discussion you need to generate the energy in a green way in the first place and that might be through solar through wind tidal and then you put it in the batteries and then you use it so they're only part of the solution to the green problem but they are a big part and I don't want anyone to take what I've just said as, oh, never mind, I'll just keep driving my petrol car, my diesel car, then that's not the message I'm trying to give here. It's just that there's more work to do. As battery technology continues to advance, Jamie is hoping the wider industry will work more transparently. Because lithium-ions developed so quickly, there aren't many standards around how their benchmarks so one of the things i spend a bit of time working on is a thing called bpx that stands for battery parameter exchange so when a manufacturer makes a battery it might be beneficial for us as a society if they had to divulge certain things about how that battery works or what's in it let's say so at the moment if you're a person like me who wants to understand what's happening inside a battery and you want to understand say a a commercial battery from some manufacturer you have to buy the battery tear it apart do all sorts of expensive time-consuming experiments on it in order to figure out what's even in it there's this thing battery parameter exchange and the idea there is to kind of break down some of the barriers to do with sharing information about what's in batteries and how you can simulate them that's quite exciting to me because it it's a kind of freedom of information. It's empowering people to basically, as a society, design better batteries. So I think that's exciting and something I'm looking forward to seeing happen. Sharing is caring. <laughs> Battery technology has developed hugely over the last decade or so, with more efficient, faster charging and smaller cells. But the push continues for improvements, meaning there is some way to go before we see the ultimate green, fast-charging, long-distance electric vehicle of our dreams. And whilst the likes of the sodium battery isn't necessarily the silver bullet that some of the hyped headlines might suggest, there is an increasingly exciting future for the humble battery. 
We'd love you to be part of the discussion. So email us at lifesolved at port.ac.uk. That's lifesolved, one word, at port.ac.uk. Tell us what you think and make suggestions for future episodes of Life Solved. In the meantime, you can get news of the latest developments here at the university by going to our website, port.ac.uk. And we'd love it if you clicked follow on your podcast app so you never miss an edition. We'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or review as well. It helps us get these conversations into more ears around the globe. Next time, the history of the weekend and why two days off might not be enough. You might see that people doing the five-day week have a pay rise, but that might be a way of employers being more attractive to employees if they implemented the four-day week. Bye for now. Bye for now.